Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingas shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss offering new products to your raving fans, speaking words of encouragement when you aren't in the room, and making the big leap to do it on your own. Waste composting, hand washing, and self-employing. Oh my! We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? Longtime listeners to the Experience This Show will remember a conversation that Dan and I had about the amazing compostable cell phone cases made by my Canadian friends at Pila. Well, that would be back in episode 98 of season five, I do believe. (laughs) Yes, it would, my friend. He's done it again. Yes, indeed. The team at Pila makes a fantastic compostable cell phone case. And today they released a new product called Lomi. I want to play a audio of their CEO talking about what Lomi is, why it's important for their customers, why it's important for the planet, and why you should get one. So listen to Matt as he describes the new offering from Pila called Lomi. What if changing the world was as easy as pushing a button? Hey, I'm Matt from Pila, and I want to introduce you to my friend Lomi. At Pila, we're a team of engineers and material scientists, and for the last three years, we've been creating something truly special, a solution to the world's garbage problem. Now, before I show you how Lomi is gonna change the world, let's talk about why you're gonna want one in your home today. Maybe you live in a big city and have a green bin program. You know, those little plastic bins with leaky bags under your sink that are amazing at producing smelly, gross liquid sludge that nobody wants to touch. Raccoons, anybody? Or maybe you don't have a green bin system where you live, and instead, you throw all your food waste into the garbage, which then goes to a landfill, which produces methane, which causes climate change, all while still smelling pretty terrible. Lomi makes your life so much easier. Lomi can compost your food waste, that pesky packaging from your online shopping habit, and even biodegradable plastics. Yep, Lomi even works on peeless compostable phone cases, all at the push of a button. And as little as a few hours later, your waste has turned into the start of nutrient-rich compost, totally mess-free and odor-neutralized. You probably know us at Pila as the inventors of the world's first compostable phone case. Pila's customers have eliminated more than 41.8 million plastic bags worth of garbage in the last five years. To create Lomi, we've spent over three years completing more than 1,000 compost tests and endless hours of design and prototyping. Lomi isn't just beautifully designed, it is the world's best home composter period. Food waste creates 330 billion pounds of garbage in North America each year. Packaging and plastic represent even more garbage and add that number up even higher. Lomi makes food waste a thing of the past and helps you cut up to half of your carbon footprint. 
all while making odor-neutralized, mess-free compost that you can feed your plants, toss in your garden, send it to the green bin, or put it in the garbage. Together, we can do something that politicians and big businesses can't seem to take any action on, actually helping the planet. We can make trash a thing of the past. Back our project today, and you'll help us bring Lomi to life. Now, I don't know about you, Dan, but when you hear that, when you first are exposed to Lomi and what Lomi Already is all it. about... <laughs> I, no, I did. I did. I, I, I saw the video awesome. and then I, I, I bought it immediately. I, I'm sold. I love it. I love it. So here's why I wanted to talk about Lomi. By the way, I also already purchased my own Lomi for at home. Here's why I wanted to talk about this though. I think we have entered an era where every business on the planet absolutely must take into consideration the environmental impact of their product. And if you have a product that is going to be able to significantly help the environment, it is going to build buzz and build excitement about your offering. I guess I think that's true. I unfortunately think that environmental issues have become a little bit politicized a little bit <laughs> understatement of the year at least yeah uh, and so i i think that is true for a certain group of people you and i are definitely within those people the environment is uh, is an issue i care very much about mostly i think uh, probably fatherhood did that to me that i felt like i needed to have some responsibility for how i leave the planet for my kids and grandkids and so it's an it's important for me and one of the things I liked about this was I've tried composting now a couple of times. I had an electric composter that I plugged in before that was gigantic <laughs> and it worked for a little while. And then like, you know, the stringy celery got caught in the motors and forget right, it. Right. it was done. I had to throw it away. And then of course you're Which throwing away the composter. To the problem. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Then I then I went with the uh, the spinning barrel that I have. Oh, the tumbler outside. of poo, as I the like tumbler. to call them. <laughs> yeah, and you know that that works okay. But the real problem is uh, is exactly what Matt was describing at the beginning of the video. Is you have this little tabletop plastic container. It, it you, you know you want to use compostable bags in it. Otherwise, you're you know. Again, kind of defeating uh, the purpose of the compostable. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and since those compostable bags are absolutely horrible, I use two of them. Uh, but the food still seeps through if I don't change them every day or every other day. And so the whole thing is messy and disgusting, and it just kind of leaves you asking, "Why in the world am I doing this?" And and right. that's unfortunate. It really is because here's the thing: you're trying to do the right thing, and yet at every step along the way, it is inconvenient, smelly, difficult, logistically challenging. When we lived in Boulder, we had what they call curbside composting. And when we moved to Boulder, Colorado, my wife Barrett was ecstatic because she had wanted curbside composting pretty much her entire life. She's been a composter for ages and she thought this would be great. And it was great, but they picked up every other week, which meant we had a trash can outside where we would put our double-bagged bag of compostable food in there. And I got to tell you, by the time July or August rolled around in that summer heat, it was hard not to vomit carrying the trash bag to the curb for them to pick it up curbside just because of the aromas wafting out from underneath the lid. I mean, it was crazy. The aromas, yeah. No, the aromas. I mean, it was being a little nice. Yeah, it's but. just absolutely crazy. But what I love about this product is they took 
all, and it's not surprising that it took three years of R&D. They took all of the pieces of the puzzle that were annoying to people and simplified them. It's small. It's convenient. It doesn't smell horrible. It doesn't require all of these plastic bags. And it allows people to accomplish what they want to accomplish, which is to do the right thing for the environment. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me... I mean, the best innovative products or services are those that really think through every piece of the puzzle and figure out what trips people up and how can we do it differently. And I'm always reminded of of Uber. And the reason I'm reminded of them, because they're obviously often cited for being such an innovative company, is that they not only solved all the problems of the passengers and why it was so annoying to hail a cab and never be able to use, you know, the credit card machine was always out and cabbies were rude and all this stuff. But they also solved all the problems for drivers. Drivers didn't want to carry cash. Drivers didn't want to have to travel so far away from home. You know, all these things. And they solved, they looked at every pain point of a taxi driver and a taxi passenger and they fixed them all. And that's what it looks like, obviously, we haven't used it yet, but it looks like that's what they attempted to do here because that video, I mean, I was nodding my head during that video, and so were you, because you know I've had the I've had the countertop disaster. You've had the smelly garbage going out to the curb. And so they clearly know their audience. They know people that have tried to compost, that have, you know, done their best, even if it isn't working. And it looks like they have really tried to alleviate all of that. If this thing works as well as that video, I can't wait. If things if this thing works as half as well as the video, it's going to be fantastic. And here's why I wanted to talk about this. Some people who are listening are thinking, uh, Joey, seriously, what is it with the environmental product? And like, that's not applicable to my business. Although see earlier part of the conversation where I think you need to be taking that into consideration for your business. But here's the behind the scenes that I think is incredibly relevant. The day that we are recording this podcast segment is the day that the product launched. Now, the folks at Pila sent everyone, all of their customers, of which I am one, an email a week ago saying, we're going to be launching on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. Be one of the first people to sign up. And they did their their launches on Indiegogo, which if you're not familiar with this, it's kind of similar to Kickstarter. You basically go on, you buy a product before it's made, and then the company uses the money from the pre-orders to help finish the last mile, if you will, of development. I went on at two minutes before it was set to launch, and they were already selling. So I was purchaser number 126. And I was super excited because I know the folks in. But I have to admit, when I saw that I was purchaser number 126, I was like, wow, there are other people like me who set their alarms to be ready to rock when this thing launched. And it hasn't even officially launched, but they're already buying. And then how many hours later... Joey, did oh, you tell, tell me about it? Yeah, yeah, wait a second. So so that was this morning at 8 a.m. local time. So 9 a.m. Eastern, which is 8 a.m. here in Iowa. I got on a phone call. I got off a phone call an hour later. And just for giggles, I went to their site to see how many people had backed the project. This project cost about $300. At that time, they had raised $900,000 in the first hour. And I thought, 
oh my gosh, this is amazing. Now, anytime you do a launch, there's a lot of flood right in the first hour. And so I decided to check back in later in the day and see how they were doing. Right before we started recording, they were at $1.9 million raised today, today from customers. In the time we've been talking about it, they are now at $2.15 million. That's right, because Joey told me about this right before we started recording. So that was at about 9 p.m. local time. So call it 13 hours from when he purchased it. I was then purchaser number 6,486, I believe it was. Yes. And they're now north of 6,500 backers. And as you say... Uh, at over $2.1 million. And then the, the, the probably the most impressive statistic is apparently their goal was $50,000. So they're 4,315% ahead of their goal. I'd say that's a good day. Yes. And this is day one of a 30-day campaign. So here's the moral of the story, friends. When you build a product and you release it, to your raving fans. And that product is in alignment with your brand ethos. If you remember from our previous conversations about Pila, they build compostable cell phone cases. So for them to build a kitchen countertop composter is a logical brand extension and frankly, a much more complicated product than the cell phone cases. But when you do something that's in alignment and you have raving, rabid fans, they will come out and support you like crazy. Now, here's the interesting thing. What will it be like when we tune in 30 days from now when this campaign is over? I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to predict that they will be somewhere near $4.5 million raised in 30 days. They may be higher than that. Here's hoping. But this is what you can do if you focus on creating remarkable experiences. When you come out with new products, your customers will be lined up to buy those too. Congratulations to the team at Pila. Congratulations on the launch of the new Lomi product. And friends, as you're listening, you're still within the 30-day limit. Go to the show notes at experiencethisshow.com. We'll have a prominent link so that you can go get your own Lomi kitchen top composter. You listen to us. Now we want to listen to you. By visiting our website and sharing your remarkable customer experiences with us, we can share them with a broader audience. Now sit back and enjoy our listener stories. Do you ever see something on social media, Dan, and think to yourself, wow, that's interesting. I wonder what the backstory is on that comment. Ah, gosh, I love this segment already because Joey's (laughs) talking about social media. It's always Uh, exciting when I bring up social media, isn't it? Yes, and I have no idea where you're going with this. But yes, of course, I do find (laughs) that I want to look for the backstory. Why, Joey? All right, all right, all right. So here's the deal. Last week, a friend of mine posted a job listing for a chief experience officer for his company. And he made this posting in a private Facebook group that I'm part of. As our loyal listeners know, I am not a regular on social media by any means, but I'm in a couple of what I consider to be highly productive private Facebook groups and where I just can network and associate and get some good advice with some other folks. So I happened to see this post. And this post caught my attention, but one of the comments on the post 
caught my attention even more. And so I reached out to the person who made the post in order to get the full story, and they were kind enough to oblige. Turns out they're a listener to the show. So Jerry Simpson, the CEO of KiteWire, was kind enough to share a story about a fascinating and touching experience that he had. Let's listen to Jerry's story. One of my absolute favorite customer experiences as a customer happened for me at Children's Hospital. I was with my youngest son uh, and my wife. My youngest son was having surgery, which is, you know, fills me with a ton of anxiety and a ton of fear and makes me a ball of nerves. And I'm expected in the dynamic of my family to also be emotionally strong support for everybody else. So we get through the whole uh, surgery. You sit there for hours just waiting, nervous, and you take down a whole bunch of information, um, what the outpatient care is like, and you want to make sure that you don't forget any of it. My son is fussy and pain, crying. Um, And all the way out, I go into the restroom and wash my hands. I'm washing my hands, and I look up, and I see on the mirror, hang in there, Dad. And it just felt like at the perfect time, somebody put their hand on my shoulder and was support for me, someone I didn't know, because I knew they thought about me and they thought about my experience and what I was going through. In the first moment of the entire day where I could be vulnerable just within myself. And I just thought that is such a thoughtful exercise that somebody went through to figure out where was the perfect touch point to put a hand on my shoulder. Oh, man, I got the chills listening to that. That is absolutely awesome. And it's like they knew he was there, right? I mean, it's, yeah. like, it's like they were literally talking to him. And I love the... We've talked about proactive customer experience before and sort of anticipatory moments. And, you know, maybe... A whole bunch of dads go in there and they look at that and they're like, what are they even talking about? But even one guy, and clearly one guy, was affected by it. But my guess is that tons of dads have been in that same bathroom and have seen that message. And maybe they didn't post it on Facebook, but it meant something to them. And you know, I also love it because I talk about this all the time. The best experiences don't have to cost you any money. How long did it take to... Or how much money was it to put a sign up on a mirror. Yeah. Probably next to nothing. Exactly. And here's the thing. They don't necessarily know that it's going to have the same impact on every person. But what they do know and what Jerry's story proves is that when it does have an impact, there is a high likelihood that it's going to be a significant impact. Now, I absolutely love this story and thought that it brought up two key points that I wanted to talk about in this segment. First, the importance of creating poignant moments for your customers. And second, the idea of creating the type of interaction that really gets people talking. Now, when we think about poignant moments for our customers, one of the things that a lot of businesses do is customer journey mapping, and that makes perfect sense. But one of the questions I get a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, Dan, whenever we speak or we're on a consulting engagement is, well, on what day should that touch point come? When should it happen? When should I send that communication? And they want to know often because they want to automate it. And I get that, and that makes perfect sense. But what I think is becoming increasingly more valuable in our automated, scheduled society are these untimed but geographically placed touch points. 
like a message on the mirror in the bathroom. We have no idea when a potential dad is going to walk in there. We also know that there's a lot of men that are going to walk into this bathroom who aren't dads, who this message isn't going to be nearly as poignant. But someone at Children's Hospital figured out we can create an untimed moment that if we do it right, maybe the only time that that dad has had to look in the mirror and to really be honest with himself about what he's feeling while his child's here in the hospital. And if in that moment, we can let them know they're not alone, we can give them the slightest boost of energy or confidence, what will that do not only to their experience, but to the experience of their families, to the experience of their child, who's the patient. These type of untimed, geographically placed touch points, I think are incredible, and it's something almost every business on the planet can do. Well, yeah, and let's be honest, most of the men walking into that bathroom probably are dads. I mean, it's a children's hospital, and so if we just kind of do the math, the the hit rate's probably going to be pretty high. But I think that it plays on a couple of things. First of all, it plays on empathy, which we know is a hallmark to customer experience. And 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 being empathetic means understanding what somebody's going through in that moment. And yeah, your kids going in for surgery, you're nervous, you're scared, you're worried, and you know, you might be alone or yeah, certainly you're probably alone in the bathroom. And so it is that moment and, and I think they've captured it perfectly. The other thing I really like is that We've talked a lot about how healthcare, especially in the United States, is probably bottom of the barrel for <laughs> experiences, <laughs> yeah. right? It's a rough and, fighting for last place with the cable companies. Yeah. And so I love that this happened in a hospital, that this was an experience that was designed in a healthcare space where, frankly, we do not expect experiences like this. And so... You know, we talk a lot about customer expectations and the need to at least meet expectations and hopefully exceed them. I think the good news for the healthcare system and for hospitals is the expectations are probably pretty low, but this one soared over it and was probably more than anything surprising to Jerry, right? Because you just, that's not what somebody would expect walking into the bathroom. Exactly. And by the way, I do want to point out one other thing. This is the first time I think and experience this history that you brought a bathroom I know, story to I the show. Normally, Dan has the bathroom stories, the bathroom experience. No, uh, this this one it absolutely stood out to me, and it you know to that point, Dan, I thought this is the kind of story that Dan's going to be super excited about. Which actually brings me to the second key point that I wanted to make about this story from Jerry, and that is this idea of creating interactions that get people talking. We all strive to do that as customer experience professionals. Our hope is to create something that stands out in the crowd, that gets people's attention. And I know you heard Jerry's story in his own words earlier in the segment when we played that audio clip, but I'd like to share the rest of the social media posts that he made that originally got my attention. And I quote, on the way out of the hospital today, I stopped to use the bathroom. And as I was washing my hands, I looked up and on the mirror was, quote, hang in there, dad. It's the third time I've experienced that mirror. And I appreciate it just the same this time as the other two. That's the kind of CX thinking that really gets me excited. End quote. Now, I got to tell you, I have a hard time reading that passage without tearing up. 
Because I'm thinking of my friend Jerry, who's in this bathroom for the third surgery with his son. Like, oh my gosh, I, I, I can't even begin to imagine the pain and the stress and the heartache and the angst. And he spoke to that earlier in the recording, but holy cow, to have this moment where that's released. And here's the kicker. He's been there before. He's seen the message before and still it's having that impact. Friends, to me, that's how you know you've designed a powerful customer experience touch point that when your customers experience it multiple times, it still gives them the emotional hit that it did the first time. Yeah, Joey, this reminds me of something that actually my ex-wife and I termed the Dubrovnik principle. And the Dubrovnik principle. I yes, love it. As, you know, Dan, only only you guys. I love it. I love it. As our listeners who are a student geography know, Dubrovnik is in Croatia. And we visited Dubrovnik on our honeymoon and had probably the perfect day in, in that lovely city and, and just absolutely it was such a memorable day. And about two years later, we went back to Croatia and we went back to Dubrovnik and we tried to replicate that day. And it didn't work. Mm. It just, we went to the same places, sure. we did the same things, we sat at the same cafe, ordered the same coffee. It just wasn't the same. And we called that the Dubrovnik principle mostly because there, it, it actually comes up a lot in life, not just in travel, that when you have an experience the second time, it's great. It just isn't as good as the first time because the first time there's the surprise element and there's, you know, I went went to a really well-known restaurant in Chicago that's known for its experience. And I had the most amazing experience. And then I brought somebody with me to go back and it wasn't quite as good because I wasn't experiencing it for the first time. And so I think the fact that he has gone through this three times. I loved also the words that he said, it's the third time I've experienced that mirror. Yeah. How many times has anybody experienced a mirror? Like, <laughs> exactly. How many times have those words ever been said? And it's three times and he's still feeling it. So kudos to that hospital. Uh, amazing work. Yes, Children's Hospital great job. You consistently do a great job for your patients. And what I love about this is you're now doing a great job for their families as well. Friends, what can we take away from this story? In every business, there are the opportunities to create poignant moments for your customers, to create in it, to create an opportunity for empathy, to create an opportunity to let them know that they are seen, that they are heard, that they are appreciated. And if you do this right and you consider some untimed but geographically placed touch points, you too have the opportunity to create the kind of interaction that will get your customers talking again and again. And again, almost everyone has interacted with chatbots, but all too often, it's been a bad experience. In Mythbusters, presented by Solvi, we explore a common myth about CX chatbots and see how the right technology can create a positive experience every time. Today's myth about chatbots? All chatbots use artificial intelligence and machine learning. At this point, we all know the support chatbot buzzwords, AI, machine learning, natural language understanding, and so on. 
When you are lucky enough to find a chatbot that actually uses artificial intelligence and machine learning, it should be able to quickly learn by crawling your content. With some minor training from your team, it should be able to start delivering impactful results immediately. Now, almost every chatbot claims to use artificial intelligence and machine learning nowadays, but that isn't actually the case. You know, Joey, I also find that many, many companies put artificial intelligence and machine learning as if it's one thing. And it's <laughs> right. completely different They're things. synonymous, I promise. Right? No, yeah. they're not. Well, hey, if we do one, we must do the other. So many chatbots don't have real artificial intelligence or machine learning and still require manual rule building in order to work effectively. While we know that AI and natural language understanding is the go-to for next-gen high-performing chatbots, there are plenty of unintelligent chatbots that force you to manually spell out the answer for every possible question a customer might ask. The wrong chatbot can require months of your team's time to build and becomes extremely expensive very quickly. Worst of all, these types of old-school unintelligent chatbots don't learn and improve over time on their own. So what should you do if you're evaluating different chatbot solutions? Well, make sure you understand how much intelligence is truly powering the bot. Is there real machine learning and intelligence at work? Or will you need to monitor and update the bot constantly to ensure a great customer experience? As a general rule, the smarter the bot, the less work you'll need to do. And the less work you need to do, the more time you can devote to your other CX initiatives. Like getting those awesome bathroom mirror messages deployed. And that's another myth busted. Thanks to our friends and podcast supporters at Solvi, the next-gen chatbot. Find them at Solvi.com. That's S-O-L-V-V-Y dot com. We spend hours and hours nose-deep in books. We believe that everything you read influences the experiences you create. So we're happy to answer our favorite question. What are you reading? You know, Joey, we talk all the time, but there is a question that I regularly ask you that I realized earlier today I haven't asked you in quite a long time. Well, interesting, Dan. There's a couple of those questions, so I'm wondering which one you're thinking about. I'm thinking about the question, what are you reading? Oh, I absolutely love this question. It's one of my favorites to ask people as well. I love asking you this question. To answer your question, in the last year, to be honest, I really upped my reading of fiction and also poetry. I've been trying to kind of disconnect from the world a little bit and try to have some escapism and enjoy. To be honest, I also have a bunch of great friends that are authors, so I get to read a ton of upcoming books before they're released to the world, which, to be honest, is one of the best things about being friends with an author. You can read their books before you get them in the store. And one of these books was actually just released yesterday, and interestingly enough, is about something that you and I have in common. Let me guess. It's either about customer experience or Legos. Uh, No, not this time. What about board games? I do indeed like board games, as I know you do as well. But no, this one's different. It's actually all about running your own business. Oh, yes, we do share that in common too. All right. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I want to learn good things about running my business. Tell me some more. Well, Dan, this book is called The Self-Employed Life, Business and Personal Development Strategies That Create Sustainable Success. 
and it's written by our mutual friend, Jeffrey Shaw. Now, Jeffrey's a leading voice for self-employed business owners, and he's the host of the top-rated podcast, The Self-Employed Life, which is heard in over 200 countries around the world. But instead of me telling you about the book, I think it'd be best to have Jeffrey explain the book in his own words. So I asked him if he'd just share a little bit about the book. I've asked countless number of people why they went into business for themselves, and everyone has some variation of the same answer. They wanted to control their destiny or control their future, or maybe they wanted to control the hours they worked, to which I reply, how's that going for you? And everybody laughs because everybody realizes that while they intended on controlling their destiny, their future, and their hours, they're entering what feels like almost completely uncontrollable circumstances. Economies go up and down, markets change, trends come and go, and now we know there can be the occasional pandemic. So while the circumstances of being self-employed may seem completely uncontrollable, the one thing I've learned that you can control is that you can create the environment for the results you want. In fact, it's the only thing that we can really control is the environment for the results we want. And that's why in The Self-Employed Life, I teach a strategy that I refer to as the self-employed ecosystem. The self-employed ecosystem consisting of three main elements, personal development to expand the capacity of what you're capable of and what you welcome, The second element is business strategies that are right-sized for a small business. And the third element is daily habits that create consistency and sustainable success. And just like an ecosystem in nature, if any one of those elements is off, it can throw off the entire system. And that's why when you're self-employed, the old adage, business is business, don't take it personal, doesn't apply because your level of success is contingent on your level of capacity and personal development. And that's why the self-employed ecosystem is essential. Now, this book is filled with great information for any business owner. Dan, there are a ton of books out there about being a business owner, but what I love about this one is it covers three key things that normally you would find in different books, but in Jeffrey's book, they're all in one. And those three key things are personal development, business strategies, and daily habits. And what I love is he breaks down each one to talk about how important personal development is and how important daily habits are, especially given that most business books are just about the business strategies. Ah, well, you know, those are those are three good things. I have to tell you, the one that really sticks out to me is the daily habits because these are so hard to develop and I have been working on them. You and I were just talking about calendaring habits right before we went on air and, you know, just trying to focus every day. It's like, it's a beautiful thing to work for yourself because, you know, you have the best, handsomest boss there is in the world. But then the other thing is, is you don't have that person looking over your shoulder, giving you deadlines. And so the daily habit thing, I think to me anyway, is the part like I turn the page right there because I, I got to get better at that. Yeah. And I will tell you one of Jeffrey's daily habits that he recommends that I love and I wasn't doing before I read this book and now I am. He doesn't have a to-do list. He has a to-don't list. 
He has a list of things that anytime he finds himself doing these things, he cro- he stops doing it and gets back to the things he should be doing. So you mean I like, can- like checking Twitter or Facebook? Well, or I, I'm, I wasn't going to get so specific Instagram about social media tactics. Clubhouse. Like, yeah, yeah it could, could be <laughs> could be something to think about. When we think about our favorite passages, you know, one of the things I wanted to do and I always love doing is asking authors, what's your favorite part of the book? You know, it's something we do in our book reports and knowing that I wanted to talk about this book that we were reading as well, I figured we I would ask Jeffrey too. So here's Jeffrey's favorite passage from his book, The Self-Employed Life. What I didn't realize at the time was that my simple egg business at 14 years old would be the beginning of a lifetime of being self-employed. Remember when I said I had butterflies in my stomach heading out on Saturday mornings? It's because I was scared to death. I suffered from terrible shyness as a kid. I would take profits from my egg business and buy self-help books by Wayne Dwyer and hide them in my house because my family would think I was weird if they knew. At one point, I even bought a book on self-hypnosis to hypnotize myself out of shyness. I learned how to visualize myself in a power pose among a crowd of people. The first time I tried my power pose, it didn't go so well. I was hanging out with a few neighborhood kids, which was already really unusual for me because normally I was locked in a room somewhere reading about how to think and grow rich. But on this day, I thought I would try out my power pose. While it may have felt powerful to me, the expression I received told me I looked more like a cross between, I don't know, Superman and RuPaul. One kid looked at me up and down and said, what the hell's wrong with you? That was the end of my self-hypnosis techniques. So going house to house and knocking on doors was a huge stretch for me. It wasn't just out of my comfort zone because I felt shy. The truth was, I didn't have a comfort zone at all. So why do it then? Why do any of us put ourselves through what we do as self-employed business owners? We know it's not the easy way. I believe that whether or not we realize it in the beginning What motivates us most is the desire to become bolder versions of ourselves, that is, deepening and developing into the best versions of ourselves is bigger than any fear, challenge, or obstacle that we might face. Super cool, great stories, and uh, really can tell that uh, this is going to be, this is going to have some interesting stuff in it that I probably haven't considered before. Joey, do you have a favorite passage as well? You know, I do. And while mine doesn't include references to Superman and RuPaul like that last one did, um, I think you might like this one, Dan. It probably comes as no surprise to you that my favorite passage in the book has to do with customer experience. No. Shocker. I know, right? All right. So, and I quote, we also know that in life, timing is often everything. Now you'll see that it's not just what you say or even how you say it, but also when you say it. The journey on which you take visitors, whether it's prospective customers on your website, readers of your blog, or listeners to your podcast, is a blend of consumer behavior psychology and the subtleties of your audience. For example, typical consumer behavior will say that people need to see their problem before they seek a solution. As a general rule, I would say that is true. However, the nuance is, how do you point out the problem so that your audience responds well? Is it the usual pointing out their pain approach? Or is it a more aspirational, helping them imagine what is possible if their pain point is solved? 
More than in the past, I think many people prefer an aspirational message. So this idea of knowing the emotional journey your audience needs to go on in order to buy into your offer means understanding them on a whole new level. Well, I see why you picked this one out. I would actually argue this is more of a marketing thing than a CX thing, but it does also show how the customer experience starts with the marketing. And that if we can figure out how to make an emotional connection with a prospect by focusing, for example, on the aspirational, then we're starting that experience off right. We're getting them to to buy from us. We're setting that expectation. So I think that is a fascinating quote as well. Uh, You know that I love the intersection of CX and marketing. And I think that very much pinpoints it. I agree, my friend. So here's the deal. If you're self-employed, I think you'll love this book. If you've thought about starting your own business or if you have a side hustle that is working its way into a business, I think you'll love this book. In fact, if you're at all inspired about this book the way I am, here's what you can do. You can, of course, order the book or you can be one of the first 10 people to message us via the contact page at experiencethisshow.com and we will happily send you a signed copy from Jeffrey as our way of saying thank you for listening to Experience This and we wish you well on your self-employed journey. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show, yay you. We're curious, was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. Yes.